receptionists. Uh, probably not the one sitting in your particular seat. Uh, I am not a perfectionist. I like to think of myself as someone who strives after excellence all the time with a slight tendency toward perfectionism. You know, it's kind of funny. Um, We probably should call perfectionists, speaking from a little bit of experience, we should probably call perfectionists imperfectionists. Because really, it's the imperfection that is what a perfectionist sees. Uh, Strives for perfection, but... You know, growing up as the son of a cabinet maker, I I learned a lot of wonderful things from my father. And um, one of the things that he did for me was give me a penchant for wanting things to be just right. Uh, I can remember after working on a project, my dad would come by with a little piece of sandpaper and he would, you know, just touch this one little spot that maybe I missed a little bit. And uh, just that desire to have it. Uh, exactly right. Uh, As I've been uh, a hobbyist woodworker over the years, I don't know that I've ever produced anything that I've looked at and I've said, that's perfect. Uh, Now, you may look at some of the stuff that I've made and say, wow, that's perfect, but you don't see it. I just finished a small cherry bowl last night and there are two imperfections in it. Um, the one you would never see, but I know it's there, and it has to do with the shape. Uh, the other one, if you look carefully, you might find it, but I'm aware of it. There is a, and I'm not alone, there is a, there's a deep human desire for perfection, and it comes out in, in many, many ways. I think it's theologically rooted God said, be perfect because I am perfect. And that's where this, see, we were created in the image of God who is perfect. And so we have this deep longing to live in a perfect world. Uh, Coming down, I often listen to music on Sunday mornings. And I I listen to, uh, it, it was very refreshing and encouraging this morning. A song came on. Um, low down chariot, let me ride. And I remember, my, my dad passed away two years ago. And uh, this coming tax day, it was easy to remember his birthday, tax day. Uh, and I remember for about a year before my dad passed away, while he was failing, I would hear these songs about chariots. Good news, chariots are coming. And uh, so anytime I hear these songs about chariots, it just reminds me, of the, of, of the chariots coming and meeting my dad. Uh, last year at this time, my mother was in the hospital. Little did she know that she had about seven days left. We all thought short stint in the hospital. And, and I was just thinking, uh, I was listening to Aretha Franklin singing a song about uh, 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 crossing the Jordan River. And just what a wonderful thought that as my mom and my dad, both at different times, stood on the bank of the Jordan River to go to the other side. There was somebody there to hold their hand and take them all the way through. Just listening to all kinds of music. But along with that, I was listening to Carol King. Uh, Carol King, Way Over Yonder. That song expresses this deep human desire to live in a world that is perfect. Uh, Catherine McPhee, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. 
Now, if that's not a perfect rendition of a song, it's pretty close. I probably have a dozen or more renditions of Over the Rainbow. It's my favorite song. And uh, to me, there's nobody that um, sings it like Catherine McPhee. I remember the night she sang it on, um, what's that show? You know, the, the year she didn't win, I quit watching. I thought, something's wrong with this show if that song didn't win. But I was all by myself in the living room, sitting on the floor, which I never do, watching TV. And she's sitting on the stairs, and I'm in tears. Just the power, that, that human desire for the perfection from which we have come. And the perfection toward which we're heading. It comes out in, in many, many ways. Um, movies. There's a movie that is called The Perfect Storm. There's another movie, it's called The Perfect Man. There's another movie called The Perfect Woman. There's another movie called The Perfect Runner. There's another movie called The Perfect... Oh, The Perfect Sleep. How many of you would like that? (laughs) My, My wife is with my son... Uh, this weekend in San Antonio, he and his wife are both military and she has to be in D.C. for five weeks. So Mark's at home working full time, taking care of Joel uh, in school. And uh, so Adele went out to kind of give him a little breath of fresh air and help him out along the way. Um, there, there's all this perfection that we long for. Um, there's, a, there's a website called The Perfect Truffle. There's another website called The Perfect Poor. And, and it's, a, it's from a coffee shop in Columbia, Maryland. And I have to wonder if that's not the coffee shop that morphed that I used to go to when we lived in that area called The Perfect Cup. And I actually did have from there a perfect, it was a perfect cup. It was a six-ounce coffee cup. Not eight, for just a nice small cup of coffee. It had a perfect shape. It even had the perfect cup written on it. And uh, I don't know where that one went. Um, This morning I want to look at the text that we have looked at. Because this text we could really call the perfect blessing. Uh, No offense to the Apostle Paul and all the blessings and benedictions at the end of his letters. You may have noticed that I I think this is the only benediction that I ever use. Um, It really is the perfect blessing. it's, it's, it's It's a blessing that shows us how God always has, always does, and always will bring us eventually to that perfection from which we have come. Well... As we read the text, and if you were looking at it in a printed Bible, unless that printed Bible was a King James or maybe a New American Standard, you probably saw that there was a a break after verse 3, 23. 22 and 23 written together as a paragraph. And then 24, 25, and 26, you can tell that they're written as poetry. That's the ironic blessing itself. And then a little one-verse paragraph at the end. This beautiful text is arranged in three parts. There's an introduction to the blessing, there's the blessing, and then there's a conclusion to the blessing. So we want to look at each one of those parts. 
And in the first one, what we see is God's intention to bless. Let's reread those words. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites, say to them. See, God gave Aaron and his sons uh, instructions on how to bless because that's what God's intention was. His intention was to bless his people through human beings. First and foremost, Aaron and his sons. You may remember that Aaron was the brother of Moses, and Aaron is the first uh, priest and chief priest of ancient Israel, and all of the Aaronic sons are the legitimate priests in ancient Israel. So God is giving this instruction not just to anybody, but to the priestly line in particular that they would pronounce this blessing for generations to come over God's people. That's God's intention. His intention is to bless. But not only through Aaron and his sons. As we read elsewhere in the Old Testament, God is pleased when ordinary people like you and me bring blessing on to others. Remember the book of Ruth. This guy named Boaz that didn't know what was going to happen to him pretty soon when he walked out to the field one day just to check on things. And lo and behold, he meets Ruth and his world is turned upside down. So Ruth 2, 4, as he's meeting uh, the workers, it says Boaz arrived uh, arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Boaz said, the Lord be with you. They called back. The Lord bless you. So while there's a special blessing from the priestly line, there's an ordinary blessing. And God intends to bless, and he intends to bless through human agency, through the priests as well as through ordinary words of blessing. And as a matter of fact, the way he blesses is through speech. Through words. Notice that it says back in our text, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them. The way the blessing is communicated is through speech. And that's a little bit different for, uh, for us to get a hold of in our culture where more and more it seems as if words don't matter. It seems as if no matter what you have signed, there's a way of getting out of your signature being on it. Now, I I learned a lot, as I said, watching my father work uh, by his side. I remember people coming in and saying, uh, a contractor coming in and saying to my dad, how much is this job going to be? And my dad would say, it's going to be this much. And the, the guy would say, well, how much if I pay you cash? And my dad said, same price, cash or check. I watched somebody with integrity uh, as I was growing up. Um, But I also watched a man who never asked anybody to sign anything. He just said, let's agree. And when he gave his word, it was his word. He wouldn't go back on it. If he bid a job and he underbid that job and he took a loss on it, he didn't go back to them and say, well, you know, I forgot to calculate this in, or it took me a little bit more time. It's actually going to be this amount. If he said it was this amount going in, it was that amount going out, because a man's word is his bond. 
But we don't live in that kind of culture so much anymore. We don't tend to think of words as sticking, as having power. But God says, this is the way you bless, you say to them, words are powerful. Remember back in Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? When God created us in his image, it says God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Blessing comes through that spoken word. So in, in verse, verses 22 and 23, we just see the groundwork of God's intention to bless. And he intends to bless you through human beings, like a minister at the end of the church service, or through ordinary conversation. Now, God bless you can just be a trite thing that we say mindlessly, but it need not be, and it ought not to be. Uh, Think of how many kids used to pray, uh, Dear God, bless mom, bless dad, bless my dog, bless Uncle Bob. That's all they would do. If that's all we ever prayed and God heard and answered those prayers, what a wonderful world it would be. Just praying for blessing. So just as a side note, don't feel guilty if you ever just pray, God bless the missionaries. If you're praying it with understanding, what a profound and powerful prayer that is. Well, let's turn our attention to verses 24 through 26. And here we see God's perfection. Here we see God's perfection in blessing. Let's reread that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now, ancient Hebrew poets and authors... They counted things. They counted things and they would weave numbers into things in order to underscore what they were saying. For example, Genesis chapter 1. What kind of creation did God make? Give me one P word. What kind of creation was it? It was a perfect creation. Now the author tells us that without ever using the word perfection, but he tells us that in many ways. First of all, the word good. Anybody know how many times the word good occurs in that first creation story? Just take, well, let's back up one more step. How many days were there in the creation story? Seven days. Seven is a number in ancient Israel for perfection. And the fact that it's seven days, it's a perfect creation. Now take a guess as to how many times the word good occurs. It occurs seven times. And the last one says, very good, perfect creation. Now, if you count in, if you're reading in Hebrew, which all of you eventually will do in heaven, see, it's a perfect world. (laughs) If you read verse one, there are seven words in verse one. Not six, not eight, but seven, and that's not an accident. If you read verse two, there are 14 words. Tell me something about 14. It's, it's, four, it's, uh, it's seven divided by two. And that's, it, it's 14. You get the point. It's a factor of seven. Now, verses one and two 
are the introduction to the whole creation story. If there's seven words in the first and 14 in the second, how many are there in the introduction? 21. That's not an accident. The word Elohim for God does not occur 34 times, does not occur 36 times. It occurs 35 times, which is a factor of seven. And there are more of these. My point is that you have sevens running through the entire story because Moses wrote those sevens in to underscore that the creation God made was perfect. You've got that same kind of thing going here. By the way, this whole text, how many sections are there? Not seven. (laughs) Because three also is a number of, threes and sevens are are, are numbers of completion. Just as a side note, what's seven plus three? Okay, seven plus three is ten. You know when you go into the most holy place? It's a 10 by 10 by 10 cube because you're in the absolute presence of God, which means you have to be in absolute perfection. The measurements are not accidental. Look at the measurements in the tabernacle and they all focus on this idea of getting closer and closer to perfection. So that's just a little introduction to say the form of this text is perfect. There are three paragraphs. And did you notice as I read it, the word bless occurs three times. Once in the introduction, once in the blessing proper, and once in the conclusion. Now again, were we uh, looking at this in Hebrew, we would see that it's a small poem, but it's a poem that is made up of three poetic lines. It's a perfect poem. It's a perfect blessing. And the first line of the poem has precisely three words in it. And the last line of the poem has precisely seven words in it. And the middle line has precisely five words in it. Five has nothing to do with perfection. But where is five in relationship to three and seven? It's perfectly in the middle. See, God God likes symmetry. This thing is perfectly symmetrical. And if we count the letters, these aren't sevens, but you can see the, the, the perfection. In the first line, there are 15 letters. In the next line, there are 20 letters. In the next line, there are 25 letters. Perfectly rising by the number that is in the middle. Just one other example, a, a different kind of example. Psalm 23, numerically, that psalm has a center. And in the language of King James, the center of that poem is, Thou art with me. That's the most important thing that the psalmist wants you to take away from that poem. Whether you find yourself this morning in green pastures or in the valley of the shadow of death, David wants you to know that the most important thing is, Thou art with me. And how does he tell us that? He didn't have bold font. He didn't have underlining. He didn't have italics. He had numbers. And he put it right in the middle to make sure we got the main point of that psalm. For thou art with me. The bottom line is when you look at all of these numbers, you can't escape the fact that the form of this poem is just flat out perfect. 
Now, not only is the form perfect, but so is the content. Now, we don't have time this morning to look at all of this. I, I don't hold me to it, because I never know what a week is going to bring, which is a little bit... I like to have my ducks lined up in a row all the time. They just don't always cooperate with me. But I'm thinking about looking at these two verse, these three verses next week in detail, 24, 25, and 26. I just want to, I just want to give you the Cliff's Notes version this morning. And I can do that because God has already done it for us. Remember those Cliff's Notes or there were other forms of them. You know, when you were assigned reading that real thick book and you decided just to read the little Cliff's Notes that kind of guided you through. I mean, when I did that, I'm sure none of you ever did. Well, God has given us a Cliff's Notes version. You take the very first word and the very last word and you got it. Now, you have to do that in Hebrew. Um, it, it won't work in English. Um, because may is the first word in English, but that won't work. I'll give you a little bit of linguistics here this morning. There's a little critter called a morpheme. Not morpheme, but morpheme. And a morpheme is the smallest unit in language that carries meaning. And sometimes morphemes are words, but sometimes they're smaller. For example, book is not only a word, it's also a morpheme. But what about books? When you add that S, that S is not a word, but it carries meaning. It says, there are more than one of me here. Or I walk, you walk, he, she walks. Now the S is a morpheme, but it's not saying there are more than one of us. It's saying we're in the third person singular. Those those are morphemes. Now, in, in English, we have at the beginning... May the Lord bless you. We have four words. In Hebrew, you just have two. Yevarechecha Adonai. And in that first word, that's what we're talking about. Yevarechecha. There are three morphemes in there. The y says, I am a third person. I'm masculine. I'm singular. And I'm communicating the idea of may. All of that's in the y. Now, in the middle, varech, there we have bless. And on the end, we have cha, that's you. So we only have one word, but it's made up of three morphemes. And to say that in English, we need a bunch of words. The bottom line is the very first word in this blessing in Hebrew is yavarechecha. And that means, may he bless you, all in one word. May he bless you. Now, let's go to the end. What's the very last word in this blessing? In Hebrew, the last word is shalom. See, there's the Cliff's Notes version of the entire Aaronic benediction. May he bless you with shalom. Now, shalom is normally translated into English with the word peace. Fair enough, but doesn't quite get it. Because we typically use peace in one of two ways. Absence of external strife. I wish there were peace in the Middle East. Absence of internal strife. I just didn't have peace about my decision. And now, while shalom includes those, it's, it's much broader than that. When you think of shalom, think of wholeness or completeness. When you have shalom, you're whole. 
When you have shalom, nothing is broken. Your relationships aren't broken. Your mind is not broken. Your body is not broken. Uh, Your emotions are not broken. Your bank account is not broken. Shalom is wholeness. It's, It's wholeness in our bodies, in our emotions, in our mental state, in our relationships, in our finances. It's wholeness in every area of life because what areas of life did God create? All of them. And he created us with wholeness, with shalom. Shalom is where we have come from. Shalom is where we are heading. And blessing is part of the way that we get there. And so the, the, this is perfect content. May God bless you with shalom, with wholeness in every area of life. Now, Psalm 29, at the very end of the psalm, takes these two elements that are separated from the beginning to the end and it just puts them together. Psalm 29, 11 ends by saying, may the Lord bless you with shalom. And so that's the Cliff's Notes version. Lord willing, maybe next week we'll come back and unpack uh, some more of the details. But you see, these, these three verses, 24 through 26, are God's perfection in blessing. We see that in the perfect form And we see that in the perfect content. May he bless you with shalom. We'll talk more about that next week. But to bless is to empower. When God blessed Adam and Eve, he empowered them to produce children. He said, be fruitful and multiply. There are about seven plus billion of us right now. I'd say that was a pretty powerful word that God spoke when he empowered us to be fruitful and to multiply. But perhaps more on that next week. Well, let's look at that last verse. Verse 27. So they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This is God's promise. See, in, in, the, in the first Two verses, he gives the instructions. I intend to bless them. Here's how I want you to do it. And then in the middle, we get the words of blessing themselves. And then at the end, God says, I promise, I'm going to stand behind. See, my word is my bond, says God. You speak the word and I will bless them. Uh, It's a personal promise. God says they will be putting my name on them. Well, how so? Well, there's one three that I didn't mention yet. Notice how that it says, the, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The divine name occurs not twice, not four times, but precisely three times in this text. And always in the second slot. Perfect number, perfectly symmetrical. Uh, This is God's promise that in the blessing, the name, God's name would be put on his people. And there's power in that name because it's the name of the true and living God. No wonder it's a word of empowerment because the name of God is put on God's people a perfect number of times, three times. Now we're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. And this kind of is only tangentially related to the sermon, but it's something that I think is important, so I'm going to have a little sidebar here. Remember when Jesus 
took the little children on his lap. Anybody remember what the B word is that the text said he did to them? He blessed them. Jesus, as the high priest of Israel, takes the little children and he puts them on the lap and he blesses them. What was he doing? He was putting the name of God on these little children. Now, we have another sacrament, not the Lord's Supper. What's it called? It's called baptism. And in baptism, we put the name of God on people. Yes? That's why Jesus said, baptize them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So, I can't prove this. But I think what Jesus was doing was he was baptizing these babies. It was a dry baptism because the time of water baptism for the church had not yet come because that was waiting for Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, in baptism, we put the name of God on people. Jesus was blessing them, putting the name of God on people. It was a dry run baptism. And in this we see a couple of things. One, uh, and, and, and I don't know if I'm stepping on anybody's toes here or not. I, I don't intend to. And, and the elders didn't ask me to say any of this, and I hope they're not squirming, because uh, I don't know all the inner dynamics of the congregation. But if you have children who are not baptized, I would strongly urge you to talk to the elders and to have your children baptized. Because it's through baptism that the name of God is put, a powerful name is put on these children in baptism. Something that we do not want to take uh, lightly. And if you are a believer in Jesus, but you've never been baptized, in one sense, you're not a Christian. You don't yet have the name of God put on you. Think of a newborn child. Uh, And you go in and you ask the parents, what's the child's name? And they say, Polly. And you say, oh, can I see that on the birth certificate? And you say, well, we haven't put it on the birth certificate yet. Well, that might be a Polly in an informal way, but formally there's no Polly yet. My name was actually Christopher when I was born. That's what my parents called me. They actually put it on the birth certificate. But you know, when they, they, I think my dad thought that's too long. Uh, And I want a Bible name, so they changed it to Mark. But, you know, they had to go through the process of getting it off the birth certificate and putting a new one on. Well, like that, it's in baptism that you have the name of God put on you in a powerful way. Uh, And so... I just want to say that if you are a, if you're someone who's trusting in Jesus, but you're not baptized, it's just odd because you're kind of like a Christian without the birth certificate, without the name. And I would strongly encourage you also to talk to the elders uh, about baptism because it's such a wonderful, it's such a wonderful, empowering experience that God grants uh, for children and for adults who have uh, professed faith in Christ. Sidebar over. No, nobody asked me to say that. I'm just reflecting on this text, and, and it, I just can't help but think that Jesus was pronouncing the ironic benediction over these kids. The threefold name of God with this promise. I will bless them. Now, remember I told you about these little critters called morphemes? In Hebrew, 
I will bless them is all one word. You don't need anything else. It's a self-contained unit. There's a morpheme on the front for I. There's a morpheme in the middle for bless. There's a morpheme on the end for them. It's all one word. But there is a separate pronoun I in Hebrew, ani. And ani is put in front of avarachem. Avarachem is I will bless them. And it's ani avarachem. If you don't need the pronoun, but you add the pronoun, you are really underscoring the pronoun. I, God says, I, this word is my bond, I will stand behind it. He's promising uh, that he will bless. Uh, Maybe some of you have children who were baptized, who are not walking with the Lord right now. Hold on to this promise that God has put his name on those children. Plead with God based on this promise. Expect God to hold his promise true. And uh, in his own time and in his own way, uh, be working in the lives of those children or friends or parents. What a powerful word this word of blessing is. Well, let's conclude. Jumping to the New Testament. This is the very last thing we read about Jesus in Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 51. After his resurrection, when Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. The very last thing Jesus does is he pronounces the perfect blessing over his church because he is the perfect high priest who lived a perfect life of righteousness in our place, died on the cross a perfect death to pay the penalty perfectly for all of our sins, was raised from the dead so that we could be perfectly justified, ascended to the Father's right hand and is interceding for us so that we will make it perfectly all the way home. And he's coming again to bring the perfection that we were created for and redeemed for. Now, one of the particular ways that God blesses us is through the Lord's Supper. But more on that momentarily. Let's pray. Father, we do bless you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would write this word on our hearts uh, to encourage us in our faith. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word. And as we reflect on this word, would you strengthen our faith, uh, that you might strengthen our service in the week that lies ahead. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing just verses 1 and 2 of number 5 from the supplemental hymnal.
is through the supper. Uh, A story from the New Testament, Mark chapter 6. Remember when there was a multitude in front of Jesus after a long day of preaching? They were hungry and Jesus didn't want them to send, Jesus didn't want to send them away hungry. You see, he wanted to make them complete. He wanted to give them shalom in their bellies. Problem was, there were only five loaves and two fish and thousands of people. This is what we read. After taking the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the people. Those five loaves and two fish fed thousands. Why? Because God blessed them. God empowered those ordinary five loaves and two fish to do extraordinary things. Later on, Mark says this in chapter 14. As they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup when he had given thanks. He gave it to them and they drank all of it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Jesus took ordinary bread and ordinary wine and he blessed them. And as he blessed them, he empowered those ordinary elements to do extraordinary things. In the lives of his people. And that's really what we're doing here. Uh, We're going to pray. And in the prayer we're going to ask God to bless these ordinary elements. That they might do extraordinary things uh, in our lives. Because God communicates his blessing through the word. And what we have here is the word not in spoken form. But in visual, tangible form. As you're able to look at the elements or as you're able to feel the elements or as you're able to smell the elements, as you're able to taste the elements, that's the word of God coming to you to empower you for the life of faith that lies ahead. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would take this ordinary bread and this ordinary wine or juice and we pray as Jesus prayed that you would bless it. We give you thanks for it, that you might accomplish wonderful things in us and in the lives of other people through us because we have shared this meal with each other and because we have shared this meal with you. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus did take bread, and he blessed it, as we have done in his name, because we don't have the power to empower. We, by faith, ask God to do the empowering. And then he took it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said to them, Eat this. This is my body. For you.
the body of Christ broken to empower you to press on in reaching that perfection of your origin. Feast in your hearts by faith. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave thanks for it as we have done in his name. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. The blood of Christ shed to empower you to continue pressing on toward that perfection that is your destiny. Feast in your hearts by faith.
Father, you are good and all of your ways are good, though not always comprehensible to us. Not sure how it is that you can take such ordinary things as bread and wine and use them in such extraordinary ways. But your word is your bond. And we pray that you would be faithful to that word in our lives for our good, for the good of others around us, for your glory now and forevermore. Praying in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's.